Isaiah 57, 15 stops me in my tracks. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This verse to me is the spiritual equivalent of gazing into the stars. I love to look up at the night sky, especially when it's clear. I'm not an uh, astronomer. I suppose I could enjoy a telescope and all that, but that's, it's not that. I just like to take in the whole of the sky. You know, we can't even really see a lot of what other places can see because there's too much of what they call light pollution here. I'll never forget the 4th of July week of 2004. Ted invited us to Colorado and took us camping in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I, I remember laying there on the ground and looking up at the sky for what, in my memory, was hours, trying to take it in. And I remember laying there going, Lord, this is the same sky that we have at home. Why does it look so much more magnificent? I didn't even take a picture of it. I took a picture of everything that week, but I didn't take a picture of the sky because I knew there's no way that my camera would capture it. And plus, there weren't even any such thing as iPhones back then, but I did have a camera, and I did take a lot of pictures, but I didn't take any pictures of the sky. I just came to describe how vast, and I just love to look up at the sky. Sometimes when I get home on a, on a crystal clear night, I'll... Before I go inside, just look up at the stars, and sometimes even you don't even realize it, but some of the things that you think are stars are actually planets that you're seeing up there. Magnificent. Staring into the night sky makes me think of my God. And this verse is the equivalent spiritually to me of Staring up into the sky. This verse tells me a lot of things. It answers the question, where is God in relation to us? He's above everything. It says the high and lofty one. How vast is God? That inhabiteth eternity. That sense chills up my spine like I can't even tell you. God inhabits eternity. What distinguishes God? What sets God apart? What, how do you define God? How do you begin to define God? But this says, whose name is holy, and holy means set apart. What's set up, what sets God apart from everything else? The fact that he is set apart from everything else. There is none like God, because there's none but God. Where does he live? I dwell in the high and holy place. Man, 
try to take that in. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. Oh, I went too far. High and holy place. We'll stop right there. We are so, well, just like you can't really get all that's in the night sky because of noise, I'm sorry, light pollution. We don't take in enough of God because of life pollution. There's just too much. There's always something playing. You try to take... Five minutes to try to comprehend God and your phone rings and you're checking to see if, you know, who that text is from. There's, there's so much that clutters. And even when you're in the silence, your mind is echoing with all that fills your mind during the noisy times. It is... Practically impossible to tune everything out in this noisy life of ours and just focus on God. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. God inhabits eternity is where he lives. We give God our 10-minute deadlines. Lord, i got to have this done by Wednesday. God says, I inhabit eternity. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Just amazing things. But here's one more question that we're going to spend the rest of our time on. Who lives there with him? With him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Who lives with God? The broken and the humble. That's what contrite means. The broken and the humble. There's no shortage of scripture verses that confirm that God loves the broken and the humble. Let me give you a few. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto him, unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. By the way, let me say this about being broken. It's one thing for us to have the experiences and the circumstances of life crush us. But even sometimes when we're crushed, we will proceed in arrogance. I don't mean to be critical of any reaction to tragedy, but I really, be honest with you, always shudder a little bit when some tragedy happens in America and our reaction is, our immediate reaction is to say, well, we're such and such strong. Whatever their intentions are, that's fine. I'm not criticizing anybody except to say, Before we're strong, we need to be such and such broken. 
See, you can, you can be crushed and still not be broken. God says, those who are close to me are those that when I let things come into their life that will break them, they allow themselves to be broken. And that's what contrite means. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Despise means disregard or disrespect. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Jesus, God in his wisdom, chose to make this some of the opening statements of the New Testament. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James 4, 6 but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Who does the high, lofty, and holy God keep close to him? The perfect? No. The self-righteous? The overcomer? No. The broken and the humble. Why? Because everybody who truly knows God, I'm sorry, everybody who truly knows who God is, is broken and humble. Because everybody who truly knows who we are as people, is broken and humble. Because everybody who recognizes and responds properly to his own sin is broken and humble. Because everybody who knows that any good that is in them is only because of God is broken and humble. Because everybody who is sensitive to self and worldliness and sin in their own life is broken and humble. Because everybody who understands that they are nothing apart from the cross and the empty tomb is broken and humble. Because everybody who has a sense of the love, the grace, And the mercy of God is broken and humble. Because living, as 1 John 1 describes, will create brokenness and humility every single day. What does it say? It says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk 
in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So listen, and try to wrap your brain around this and maybe take this with you and meditate on it. Read these verses again. There is a difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light yet still sinning. Try to soak that in. Walking in the light doesn't mean you don't sin. But walking in, the, in darkness is something altogether different. You need to ponder that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is not talking to lost people. This is talking to saved people striving to walk in the light. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So I say to you again, why does God say that the broken, contrite, the humble are those that live in that high and holy and lofty place with him? And that doesn't mean that we live up there. It means in the affairs of this life, God is high and holy and lofty. And we live with him if we are daily broken, contrite, humble. Jesus wasn't close to the self-righteous. Jesus was close to the broken and the humble. God doesn't look for perfection in us. He knows he'll never find it. God looks for brokenness and humility. Arrogance and hardness of heart keep us distant from God. Brokenness and humility keep us close to God. Our brokenness and humility shows God that we know who he is and we know who we are. Brokenness and humility show God that we know we need him and we can't do it without him. We never come to the place of growth where we no longer should be broken and humble. You will never be such a wonderful Christian that you put brokenness and humility behind you. In fact, the more we grow, the more broken and humble it makes us. 
when you notice the brokenness and the humility missing from your heart and from your daily life, you've drifted from the Lord. The evidence that you are close to the Lord is not your perfection. It's your brokenness and your humility. Now there's this thought, and we're, we're, we're approaching the end of the message here, so just so you know. I always want to know where I'm at on the timeline of things. What does this verse say that God does for the humble and the contrite? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When you live humble and broken before him every day, he picks you up. We like to pretend that we are without sin, but we're not. But when we try and fail and go to the Lord contrite, humble, he says, I know who you are. And he restores us and gives us joy and strength again. Doesn't mean that, uh, listen, you got to keep all these things in balance. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And then jump on down to verse 16. That's Romans 6. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? We must not be content to continue in sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being broken and humble. Because we know what we're made of. And going to the Lord. And letting us, letting him revive our spirit and revive our heart. It's a tough place to live. But arrogance. Arrogance won't get you close to the Lord. Arrogance won't keep you close to the Lord. Humility and brokenness. You can turn here if you want, or you can listen. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him. Now listen closely to this story. Almost rather that you just listen, but, but you, you, you can read along. You'll get it either way. Either way, just soak it in, would you? One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner... And time out, you say, wait, 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 we're all sinners. Yes, we are, but this woman was, her life was defined by sin and she knew it. And really almost the implication here is that the Pharisee would have called her a sinner. Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. 
and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, Jesus answered a question that he never, the guy had never even spoke out loud. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gave me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. By the way, washing the feet of a guest was in that hot, dusty climate was a very common practice. It was a show of, it was, we say, can I take your coat? They would say, can I wash your feet? Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at me with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now, what you saw there, the story of the Pharisee, I mean, they, they thought, we've arrived. We've got it. We are the model of righteousness versus the sinful woman. Can I tell you? Most Bible-believing churches, unfortunately, if the modern version of the Pharisee walked in and so did this modern woman of this, a modern version of this sinful woman walked in, we would treat him better than we treat her. We would respect him more than we respect her. We would be more likely to invite him to eat with us somewhere than we would her. But more importantly, in our own view of ourselves, Somehow, we identify more. We see ourselves as him. When we ought always see ourselves as her. Well, I've never. You've rebelled against your creator. And he has redeemed you. And by the way, that's what, that's what that Pharisee hadn't figured out. Hopefully he did eventually. Maybe he never did. There's not a one of us that is so wonderful. In fact, just stop right there. There's not a one of us that's wonderful 
We need to quit thinking and acting like we're something we're not. We need to quit thinking that we can impress God with how awesome we are. And we need to not be ashamed to be broken and humble before him every day. Because, and I'm going to go back and read this one more time and we'll be finished. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Are you close to the Lord? Oh, yeah, because I don't do this and this and this. Now what this says. You're close to the Lord if you are truly broken and truly humble before him.